now plugged in to the Delphi Podcast. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Delphi Podcast. I'm Tom Shaughnessy, and I help lead Delphi Ventures, as well as host some of the most in-the-weeds and thought-provoking guests across crypto, spanning layer ones to DeFi, NFTs, and beyond. The goal is to have fun, but also to dive deep and offer foundational episodes on projects and founders. Also, check out our research on Delphi Digital or miss out on the most compelling research there is. It's up to you. As a reminder, nothing said on this podcast is a solicitation to buy or sell any security or token or to make any financial decisions. Delphi Ventures may hold tokens mentioned, so check out our transparency page in the show notes for more info. With that, let's dive in. See you guys on the other side. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Delphi podcast. I'm Ashwat Balakrishnan with the Delphi Digital Research Team, and I'm here with Tristan Frezza, uh, one of the co-founders of Zeta Markets. Zeta is building a professional-grade options protocol on Solana, and they're easily one of the DeFi protocols I'm most excited about uh, at least for the rest of 2022. Uh, so Tristan, it's it's fantastic to finally have you on the podcast. Yeah, and it's a pleasure for me to be here. Really excited. Awesome. So, you know, we're obviously going to talk about all things Zeta and the complex world of crypto derivatives. But, you know, before we jump into that, I think it would be helpful for the listeners if we could, you know, go, if you could, I guess, go a little bit into your background, uh, how you got into crypto, uh, you and, and the Zeta team and uh, what what led to the ideation of Zeta? Maybe even you know what you guys were doing before crypto. Yeah, absolutely, and great question. So, I guess it all started in 2017, as uh, I think a lot of people got into the space, and you know, just talking to friends. Um, one of them was very very bullish crypto, and was very interesting, and always sending me articles. And I think we met on like a a random like forum group or something or other. Um, and yeah, we, we just ended up talking about crypto a lot. I think he airdropped me like my first set of, of crypto, um, one of these like 2017 uh, supply chain shit coins or something other. And we just ended up day trading that a bunch. Um, and then, yeah, I definitely got a bit more sophisticated as I kind of started learning more about the technology behind blockchains, reading obviously Bitcoin white papers and stuff like that. Um, and then actually like building my own proof of work blockchain kind of proof of concept, um, I guess, in, in some of my later year distributed systems courses. So I got really interested in the in the distributed systems side of things and how do you build a blockchain and all these things about consensus mechanisms and the like. Uh, and then kind of moving on from that, worked in uh, the tech industry for a couple of years, mostly in data science and software engineering. So that was also somewhat related, I guess you're working on like big compute clusters, a lot of like parallel processing and these kind of like big global networks. So. I thought that was interesting. Um, and then coming back, I guess uh, I was definitely a little bit burnt out from the whole COVID work from home thing. And I was like, hey, I've heard all these uh, all this chatter about smart contracts, uh, kind of solidity programming uh, and listening a lot to Vitalik and reading a lot of his blog. And so I decided, hey, over, over Christmas, let's, let's pick this up. Um, and so, yeah, a little bit over a year uh, ago now, I was just kind of, you know, uh, learning how to program solidity built my own kind of smart contracts, kind of re-implemented Uniswap, um, which actually was way simpler than I thought it'd be. So I was like, hey, this is a nice low barrier to entry, I guess, to, to get started. Um, it's very like JavaScript-esque and I've been doing like so much Python and I guess Java stuff the, 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 the previous couple of years. And so it was like pretty nice to ramp um, up into. And yeah, we, we just started building in that. And in terms of the team, um, just basically looped in a bunch of my friends who all came from the kind of finance and 
HFT space uh, because that was like less of my background and that was a great synergy. Uh, they taught me a ton about derivatives and, and options as well as kind of how HFT market making works. And then I obviously brought the kind of software engineering component and kind of uh, data analysis, quantitative side of things. So I think it was a really good mesh. And we, we basically thought that uh, derivatives was this big this big pie that we wanted to, to bite into and, and take a stab at because no one had really done it yet in DeFi. Uh, and that's what we've essentially been building up for for the last year. No, that's awesome, and that sounds like a like a perfect mix of talents. Uh, you as like the the I guess the main dev and tech guy, and and then roping in some of your friends who are more like finance nerds. Yeah. Um, a quick yeah a quick follow up to that. I think you mentioned uh, that you started off with Solidity. I'm kind of curious how you made that shift like from Ethereum to Solana because I know you're you're a pretty. Uh, you're on the line of being like a Solana maxi. And so I'm kind of curious how you eventually, you know, like made that pivot. Yeah, I try not to brand myself as a Solana maxi. I'm kind of open to all chains and implementations, uh, although I am definitely coming across as uh, being like a big believer in Rust and some of these programming languages, uh, as opposed to a lot of the Python that I did before. I think it's just like such an elegant language and definitely a big believer now. Um, but yeah, starting in Solidity, I think was pretty cool. Something that you can literally learn in a weekend. Uh, it's very like blockchain native, I guess. That kind of cuts both ways in terms of you have to learn a new language and its own paradigms and it's kind of not transferable from traditional industries. Um, but yeah, I think programming that was, was pretty nice, pretty interesting. You can kind of spin up your own projects. Uh, they have a bunch of great tooling that comes out of the box. You can even use Remix, which just works like in your browser and you can write smart contracts very easily. So I think the barrier to entry is, is super low and it's very understandable. Uh, I think a lot of the math is just really like, you know, addition, subtraction of like, you know, token amounts. And it's not like you have to do anything like too crazy and worry about like multi-threading and like memory management and all this crazy uh, stuff that you would have to do in maybe like low level systems. Um, yeah, then basically I think it was a matter of going and, and chatting around, figuring out, I think, what the best chain to build on was. We're obviously trying to tackle this big hairy problem of derivatives trading, which, as you would know, is like quite a high frequency game. Speed matters a lot. Reactivity matters a lot. Uh, and on a chain where, you know, block times are on the order of like, you know, anywhere from 15 seconds to, to kind of even longer and you have like slow Oracle updates and, the, you know, high gas prices, uh, that probably doesn't really cut it for our use case. So. We did a bit of research. I think reached out to a couple of people. We ended up chatting to like Arbitrum, I think, before they launched. And I think they were a bit unsure on timelines. So we were a little bit hesitant to, to go into L2s because we didn't know what we were necessarily in for. Um, and then looking at other alternative L1s, I think Solana really caught my interest, uh, mainly because of the nice headline numbers that you have of, you know, theoretical 50,000 transactions per second etc and like very low gas fees uh, i think was nice and then the fact that the serum order book really exists there i think that's kind of a one of a one of its kind of primitive and then yeah we, we decided to explore that a bit more this was in the early days when you could basically get on a call with anatoly um within like a week uh, and they didn't have many developers there so that was kind of nice to be able to chat with those guys like one-to-one -one. and you know i got the impression that these guys were were pretty brilliant we were just talking about you know, elliptic curve crypto cryptography and, you know, a bunch of like how they run their parallel kind of uh, blockchain runtime, stuff like that. And so I was pretty sold at that point. I read over their blockchain white paper a bunch of times and I thought this is pretty cool. Coming from a background where you do a lot of uh, distributed system stuff like data processing is, you know, all meant to be done hugely in parallel. And that's how you kind of scale to like 
terabyte level systems and running these kind of big, big global networks. I was I was kind of a bit shocked to see that Ethereum is still multi-thread. I mean, still single-threaded. Um, and so yeah, I really like the design. I like the team, um, and I was kind of sold that you know I really wanted to learn Rust for a couple of years. So I was like, this is a great opportunity. And so yeah, I think within a short amount of time, uh, made made the pivot over to Solana. Started developing there. This is when they had very little documentation. You really just had to figure it out, like read the source code for yourself. There was like this one Paul X uh, escrow blog or whatever of someone who'd made like one of the only implementations on Solana. Um, you know, I think Serum was open source, which was cool. Uh, I think Radium had only just launched uh, and hadn't had any code. So you're really kind of grappling with, you know, how to build stuff there and figuring out things from fundamentals. But it's been a great journey in terms of like, you learn actually a lot of the low level stuff. Um, and I think come to appreciate what's happening under the hood. And that's that's fantastic. And and I think like a lot of people underrate uh, the, like how, how Serum kind of feeds into like being a almost like liquidity infrastructure for for a lot of projects that are trying to build trading venues uh, on Solana. And so, yeah, I, I definitely think like that that's that's one of the uh, top things Solana is going for it uh, aside from its, you know, speed advantage over over other chains. Um, so, yeah, you know, before before we get into Serum, let's I mean, before we get into Zeta, let's uh, let's just take a step back here. Um, you know, we've seen DeFi options kind of flounder uh, on Ethereum, especially. Uh, you know, if you look at Deribit, they've had like they've been wildly successful, and you know they 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 account for maybe 90 to 95 percent of like crypto options turnover on a daily basis uh, across you know centralized and decentralized platforms. Uh, and so, you know, when you look at some of these, I guess older gen DeFi options protocols like maybe Open and Hegic, um, the like the volume and the overall activity they've seen, you know, since they've launched hasn't been, you know, up to the mark where you could say, you know, this is a potential debit competitor, you know, maybe even like two, five years down the line. Um, and there, there just isn't a lot of like liquidity on, on, on either of them. And like some of them have some uh, pretty flawed uh, mechanism design. So I'm just wondering, like, in your opinion, why do you think, you know, some of these option protocols have sort of failed to take off? Yeah, super interesting. And this is pretty much, I guess, the genesis story of how we started building Zeta. I think we were in for a bit of a rude shock when we started scoping out the landscape for derivatives and especially options on DeFi. Um, so how it came about, I guess, is we were just doing this like weekly Zoom call, just brainstorming ideas and throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. And so we were looking at all these like, borrow lending stuff? Do we do like, you know, fixed interest or something rather? Do we do this? Do we do that? Um, and then one of our co-founders is like, or, or was like a professional options trader at the time. So, you know, he had the great idea of let's build an options platform. Um, and so we started scouting out the landscape and yeah, we did come across a bunch of these Ethereum protocols, which was really all that existed, you know, one year ago, I would say. Um, and so you've got these kind of AMM based, uh, one-sided, uh, like AMM options, AMMs like uh, Hedgic, and then you've got yeah other ones like that are a bit more order book based. I think it was based on like the the zero X order book. Um, so for for open and stuff. Um, but yeah, we we really tallied up like what what's stopping these these guys from becoming really big and and deribit sized. Um, and I think there was like a a host of a host of things that we definitely identified that that are kind of the Achilles heel of a lot of these platforms and how they're designed. Uh, probably the biggest one, I think, for DeFi platforms in general, and this is kind of exacerbated in options, is obviously liquidity is kind of the most important thing. Like you need liquid markets for people 
to want to be able to trade and that kind of attracts more traders and it's this flywheel effect essentially and if you can't get that started you're kind of dead in the water um and this is really really hard for options like you know imagine you're doing a spot market it's like okay we have a solana spot market or a solana futures or perps market you, you just have to make one market essentially make that liquid pour all the liquidity in there um and that's great a bit of an easier problem when you get to options though you've suddenly got all these other parameters of your strikes and your expiries um which starts to kind of fragment the space. Now you're having to host like a bunch of markets. So say for our Solana market, it suddenly goes from just the kind of one Solana product to having now 11 calls and 11 puts um, because of the 11 strikes that we have. So that's kind of 22 markets per expiry. Say we go to list like two expiries, which we're looking to do now, you know, that, that already kind of blows out into like a pretty huge problem space of like now 44 markets that we have to maintain uh, and provide liquidity for as opposed to just the one. So this becomes pretty challenging. Um, I think that's like the main thing that I think has held back a lot of options markets. And if you would have used some of these Ethereum ones, yeah, like uh, I don't wanna throw open under the bus, but like using it in like the very early days, uh, I thought it was a great platform and well-designed, but you would have literally quotes on like just one or two markets and it'd be for like very little size. And then you'd have to be paying hundreds of dollars in like gas fees to actually put on a trade. And so it was something like, if I'm not a whale, essentially, like there's no reason for me to trade this. Um, and likewise, I think with uh, Hedgic, I don't think their pricing was incredibly appealing. Uh, and if you looked at like the Dune Analytics dashboards, like as an LP, you're kind of always just getting picked off um, and taking unfavorable trades um, as the other side. And so I think liquidity providers were just literally losing money over time. It was like a guaranteed way to lose money. And they kind of just covered it by, by printing tokens, which seems to be the popular thing in uh, bootstrapping DeFi these days but yeah we weren't a huge fan of that um, in terms of some of the other things that you know what, what we're essentially trying to be killer on and, and do differently from the market poor capital efficiency probably one of the bigger ones right that's what Deribit does really well they do like portfolio margining um, and all this kind of stuff which is great for the the market makers and the big traders that come in there that want to put on size um, and currently everything in DeFi that you see these days tends to be fully collateralized or over collateralized. I remember even some of the early platforms, you'd have to collateralize positions like, I don't know, six to one or something other or ridiculous um, kind of ratios like that. Um, and that just makes it really costly. Uh, and it means you can't put on a lot of positions kind of concurrently. Um, so you can't make all these markets. Uh, and so for us, that was something that we were trying to tap into was, was under collateralization. Um, uh, and then I guess, yeah, being very low frequency on some of these uh, slower chains, like you need to be reactive, you need to change prices. I think some of these options AMMs were literally updating their volatility estimates for Black Shoals like once once a week, um, which is obviously you're going to get picked off. Imagine you did that on like Deribit or CME or something other, like you just get completely run over. Um, so the nice thing with Solana is like we're using Pith as our Oracle. You basically get price updates uh more or less like every 400 milliseconds, which is pretty incredible. So you can be quite reactive. It's not quite like, you know, a centralized exchange where things are working on like potentially the millisecond or like nanosecond level, but um, maybe one day blockchains will get good enough. You know, we'll, we'll have to see. Um, and then, yeah, I think it's just like, generally people weren't really looking into this space um, that much. You didn't have market makers. There was not much appetite for, for DeFi options. And now you've got, I would say, some of the biggest crypto native market makers who are all willing to, to come in and to quote options and provide liquidity, which is like super exciting. Yeah, a lot of good points there. Uh, and, and I have some some follow up questions based on that, but I'm just going to you know go one by one here. Um, so one of the things that stood out to me as someone who sort of studied, you know, traditional markets, uh, traditional option markets and how they were utilized. 
Um, what stuck out to me about Zeta was this is, I think, the first DeFi options protocol that paired every options expiry with, you know, an equivalent futures contract that expired on the same date. And, you know, for anyone who's familiar with option markets, uh, option dealers, who are the, the entities that essentially take the other side of, you know, uh, p- like traders trades, uh, futures are incredibly important for them to hedge. And that seemed like, you know, a no brainer to me in, in that in that sense. But, you know, we, ne- we never really saw any other options protocols try to, you know, go ahead with, you know, trying to pair in the future to try to attract uh, professional liquidity. So I guess, do you, do you think that this do, do you think I'm overstating the effect of this on uh, attracting professional market makers to, to these DeFi options platforms? Or do you think that that played like a pivotal role? I, I think it was definitely quite important. Um... And it was something that was very easy for us to launch as well, um, which was super attractive. So yeah, I guess to set the scene here, um, a lot of people are trying to tackle options, but I think there is a big need in these options markets to also have linear products, uh, especially as kind of a hedge against them. So you have what's called Delta um, when you're trading options, which is essentially your exposure or your sensitivity to, to movements in spot. Um, so if you're say Delta neutral or have like close to zero Delta, you know, the Solana underlying price could actually move a lot and you would kind of not be wrecked or benefit from that, I guess, like, you're not kind of exposed to that and you can just trade purely on, you know, volatility. Um, and so, yeah, a lot of market makers actually want to kind of hedge their deltas and using linear products, um, like a future, like, you know, a perp or like spot is definitely very attractive. Their futures, I guess are kind of strictly a bit better than spot uh, in that kind of case because you can actually take on leverage and you know once again it's more capital efficient the tough thing with perps is you have a uh, kind of fixed expiry option right we kind of match deribit expiries it's expiring kind of friday of every week if you have a perp um, i don't think it's like a perfect hedge or you kind of have to do it a bit dynamically so that was a little bit tough um you know i think we initially wanted to compose with like mango say and use their perps essentially to kind of like hedge off against ours um, but it was like a little bit tricky And it just came down to like, hey, we could actually launch this really easily ourselves. And funnily enough, I don't think anyone in DeFi has actually launched dated futures, which is kind of nuts because you look in traditional finance and that product is is killer and people really love it. Um, But I guess in DeFi now, because of perps, people have almost just like jumped three steps ahead and they've kind of skipped it entirely. Um, And so it's gone out the window. But yeah, we decided to build that. There was a really nice, I guess, trick that we used, which is like a, a zero zero strike option is essentially uh, a future. So, you know, zero strike call, we kind of like chucked in there, essentially had a future, could like build it out with, within one day under our kind of existing framework. Uh, and then that's actually like, we haven't branded that, I think as much as we needed to in the early days. Like we were very much primarily seen as an options protocol, but now looking at the uh, analytics that I'm starting to put up, we're getting a lot more trading on the futures. People are like definitely starting to love that. The fact that you've got it in the same interface and you can like quickly buy an option and then you can go ahead um, and start kind of like hedging out on futures. I think that's that's definitely appealing. Um, so getting people to kind of trade in this more sophisticated way and, and manage risk, I think is going to be really cool. And yeah, I think the long-term vision is the more products and more derivatives that we can kind of get under the one hood that we can kind of cross margin together. I think that starts getting that FTX effect where you've just got like this fully fledged kind of uh yeah just this fully fledged system with with all these derivatives running through it that are kind of like all managed and margined in the same way and it just makes for like an incredible trading experience so yeah maybe one day we'll we'll list perps and like a few other exciting things i know there are like power perpetuals and stuff that are starting to pop up so maybe kind of integrating that in there we've been talking a lot to, to zero one who are kind of running them so i think there are just like incredible synergies and 
from my perspective, like derivatives and especially DeFi derivatives that are all in the same L1 chain are just going to be like hyper composable. Now that's awesome. Uh, and I'm looking forward to the day that, you know, Zeta starts to take on FTX. Uh, I think that that definitely be something to watch out for. Um, yeah. And, and just like kind of dialing back to um, some stuff you said previously. So now we're actually getting into, I guess, the mechanics of Zeta. Um, you mentioned, you know, like some of these older options protocols, they, they update their vaults, their, their implied vaults, like on a weekly basis when it hit a certain threshold. Uh, but, but Zeta has like a, a dynamically calculated, uh, like, like IVs for, for all of their expiries. I guess, um, could you maybe elaborate a little bit on like how exactly you guys do this? Yeah, definitely. I don't want to bore people or lose people in, in the detail too much. And yeah, if you're really into that kind of quant stuff, I would direct you guys to the uh, Git book that we have, like all our documentation. It's got like all the calculations and nitty gritty in there. Um, but at a very high level, I guess what we saw from a lot of, well, firstly, I think you look at a lot of options platforms and DeFi protocols out there and they simply don't do the pricing because they don't want to like take on risk or do any kind of risk management. Uh, and that's fine when you have a fully collateralized system, right? It's kind of no risk of liquidation and you can kind of tokenize the position, ship it off anywhere and it's uh, you don't have to worry about it. When it comes to us and we're trying to actually provide uh, like leverage on a bunch of your trades, that's when you start having to worry about liquidation risk and this becomes a lot harder in a DeFi setting where it has to be permissionless um, and kind of like trustless. And so... Yeah, I guess I guess for us in terms of some of like the the pricing and volatility calculations, uh, that's something that I think we do in quite a sophisticated and interesting way, taking the best principles of what you've seen in kind of traditional uh, prop trading, essentially, uh, and trying to apply that to the blockchain, which is uh, definitely easier than it sounds. Um, and so the way that we do that, yeah, like you've seen some other pricing models. Uh, and they're just kind of manually updated, say like the founder will come in and they'll call an instruction and update the volatility to whatever it is on skew.com once a week, um, which is very manual, not very decentralized, uh, and also just like a very slow period over which to kind of update it. And so I think they're going to get arbed probably pretty hard, and I, I think they do. So for us, it's, it's very much like a, a live uh, setting in which this operates. So we have this kind of modified Serum order book, which is obviously where all the trading goes through. Then we actually, yeah, we run like a Black Shoals implementation on-chain. And I believe we're probably like the first one to do that, like fully on-chain Black Shoals that fits in one instruction, um, which took me <laughs> a couple of weeks of uh, brainstorming and looking at calculator manuals and figuring out how to like write a lot of these like uh, lo natural log functions and all these other square roots and stuff efficiently on-chain where you don't have like floating point numbers and any of this uh nice stuff out of the box for math that you take for granted in um, Python modeling. But anyway, we, we got that working, so that worked pretty efficiently. Uh, and then if you know your Black Shoals, which is the kind of gold standard for options pricing, you've got your kind of spot input, you know, you've got your strike uh, time to expiry, uh, and then basically the one that's still, I guess, sub subjective or that people are still taking an opinion on is what's called the implied volatility. So it's kind of what you expect the volatility um, to, to eventually come to, which is different to like realized uh, volatility. And so that's something that we maintain an internal surface for. Um, so you can think of it as like a, yeah, you can think of it as just like a, a curve essentially that we have for each of our expiries. Uh, and this is a curve, you can imagine the x-axis as being kind of your strikes or, you know, in this case we use moneyness, um, which is your kind of strike on expiry. Uh, I mean, strike on, um, spot on strike. Um, and then, 
yeah, we, we basically use that. We, we have the surface and then basically wherever trades occur um, on that kind of sliding scale, we update uh, in this kind of Bayesian manner all the different points on that. So basically, this is like a, a reactive way to price volatility based on trading that happens in our markets. And so if we're getting traded against uh, a bunch or people are kind of, you know, making a lot of trades on one part of the curve, we want to essentially like update and kind of calibrate to that. I guess you can think of it almost like an AMM for, for volatility in that kind of sense. Um, so that's kind of what we maintain. And that kind of updates itself live with uh, with every trade. And that's a nice way to just have it like baked into the system and, and kind of it, it runs itself and we don't have to provide these these manual inputs. That That is awesome. And I, I think uh, like we would probably see a lot of projects, uh, options focused projects try to uh, mimic something like this going forward because it, it just makes more sense to like calculate all of that in-house uh, under you know the platform so that you know you 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 don't have that dependency on an outside uh, data provider something like SKU um, and so yeah that that's that's awesome um, you you also mentioned um, that you have under collateralized uh, positions and and leverage trading uh, I just wanted to like dig into that a little bit. So like when you buy an option, you're just paying the premium up front. And that's sort of a cost that you can't you can't forego. You you have to pay that cost. Uh, and when you sell an option, you 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 also have to like sort of post that margin that corresponds to, you know, like what the value would be at expiry so that, you know, you you fulfill your obligations no matter what. Uh, can you kind of elaborate a little bit on what you mean by leverage? Do you do you mean, you know, people can go 5x and if they have, you know, $200, they can buy $1,000 worth of uh, options or, or does it like help with capital efficiency when, when you're trying to sell options too? No, that's that's exactly right. I'm, I mean, yeah, you can read through the Gitbook, which has all the details, but a very high level, we use what's called future style margining, um, where you essentially need to maintain this kind of collateral in your account, very similar to like an FTX, you can kind of lever up. And then once you fall behind a certain maintenance margin, your position becomes eligible for, for liquidation. Uh, and then anyone can kind of like liquidate that uh, and kind of take a clip on that, um, which is different to some other kind of margin models, like uh, where you actually have to like fork up the premium, I guess, and, and kind of like give it over ahead of time. Um, this just kind of maintains it in, we have our own kind of like margin wallet, which which tracks that um, mm. and you're kind of always pulling that and, and updating that. So yeah, it is pretty much like you, you want to take on like uh, $1,000 worth of exposure and you can do it actually with like, you know, two hundred dollars worth of collateral, which we think is like super nice, and that's probably what makes uh, a lot of these perps platforms and FTX like really appealing for people. But yeah, so so when you're working with leverage, though, uh, it's pretty important to have like like deep liquidity on these markets in order to ensure like timely liquidations and that you know lenders are made whole and and you know that you can actually seize that margin from from you know the liquidated trader and give it back to whoever lent it to them yeah so so definitely yeah liquidity is super important there i think in the time being while we're still getting to like a super liquid market we've got pretty healthy buffers i think on liquidation so it makes it quite appealing for people to to take over these positions um and, and we have thought about in the case that we have this massive black swan event, which you know inevitably will happen, we have like a insurance fund, which I think backstops and, and makes people good if, if something does go wrong um, with the system, whether that be a hack, which hopefully obviously never happens, given that we're getting audited a couple of times. Um, and then, yeah, if uh, people can't like exit our positions and a lot of people get liquidated and it's kind of this big liquidation cascade, then that's something that we can uh, make people good on. Definitely makes a lot of sense. Um, so at this point, we've spoken about, you know, how Zeta prices options. Uh, I, I, I want to dig a little bit into, you know, Zeta's settlement mechanisms. Uh, can you maybe elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, sure thing. So um, 
everything at the moment we're doing kind of cash settled European op uh, yeah European style options um, and so yeah being cash settled we essentially take the the oracle price uh, at the end of the week when it expires we, we kind of figure out how much you're in the money and kind of just basically uh, can uh, rebalance and like net off I, I guess like all the PL from from different positions and so that's I think a really efficient way to do it. I think some competitors are doing kind of more physically settled thing where you actually have to deliver like physical Bitcoin um, to the other address. <laughs> and I know there have been some uh, some people who have definitely raised some concerns or been quite frustrated with that model because I think they've like forgotten to settle or kind of claim their position a couple of days after expiry and basically like lost all their profits from that, um, <laughs> which is maybe not the best way to go. Um, and the nice thing for us is we basically also log the settlement price of the Oracle from Pith um, from every respective week um, in kind of like a dedicated account. And so even if you kind of, I guess, miss the expiry or don't settle immediately, uh, we basically have this in, in perpetuity that you can always go back. We know kind of, you know, what the settlement price was uh, and your kind of positions and we can kind of back calculate and kind of uh, cash you out for that. So I think it's like quite a nice uh, UX for, for settlement there. I mean, yeah, that that sounds pretty simple, and so I would imagine, you know, the the UX is is pretty sleek for, you know, uh, even even you know someone who's who's not too familiar with with options and how it works. Your uh, I guess your your neighborhood Robinhood GME call ape. Yeah, and and I would, I would add on to that as well. Like, you don't actually have to manually settle yourself. So this is actually like a permissionless settlement. So. You don't have to go in there and worry about like, hey, it's like Friday, 8 a.m. UTC, Deravid expires, and I have to like go and click some buttons. Like, basically, we have this uh, what's called a crank going on in the background, and it basically like processes like an event queue of, of transactions, and so that's run by a kind of keeper key network of you know tons and tons of people out there. And so basically, every Friday, you'll come in, and you know after a short period of time, you'll basically like get the uh, cash PNL credited to your wallet without having to do anything. So I think it's super cool. Yeah, that that's that's definitely like a great feature to have, I guess. I can imagine I would forget to, you know, claim my settlement a lot of the time, so that's that's definitely reassuring. Um, moving moving away from from Zeta a little bit, um, you know, we spoke about CFI options earlier, and uh, you know, like just this how how much they've dominated the market, and I guess the gap between CFI options and DeFi options seems to be a lot wider than CFI perps and, and DeFi perps. Uh, do you have like an opinion on on why that is? Do you think it's just the simplicity of perps makes it easier to implement in DeFi and and is and caters more to like you know the the DeFi user base, which is predominantly retail? Or do you think there are you know some other factors at play here? Yeah, I think that's a very interesting question and something we've been thinking about so so much now. Um, so it's interesting to see like you know derivatives are actually really popular in this ecosystem in crypto obviously generally um, and also in DeFi I would say that's now a thing um, as of DYDX and some of these other very exciting platforms that have popped up and are literally trading like you know billions of dollars of, of volume sometimes you know higher than even Coinbase and FTX say so I think that's like a, a really great sign for the space as a as a whole. Um, I am like definitely optimistic that that options will you know somewhat start to to catch up um, and kind of compete on that stage. Uh, I do understand that there are, I think, things and like barriers in the way to to adoption. Probably the biggest one being education and just like general complexity of options. I think is pretty scary for a lot of people. Um, you know, we obviously do a lot of customer interviews and options. I think goes over a lot of people's heads. Like it kind of requires that you are 
I think pretty highly educated. You understand like the math of it pretty well. The fact that you've probably worked at like a, a trading firm before, you know, it tends to be those very um, high-end, sophisticated traders that I think get into options. You even talk to a bunch of trading firms and ex-traders, and they're like, "Yeah, we just worked on the Delta One desk. We did the futures. Like, didn't touch the options stuff. Like, that was that was for the giga brains out there. You know, that that stuff was like pretty hard um, because you're working with like non-linear products, payoffs. You've got like this like crazy amount. I think there's like maybe like 46 or like 50 different combos that you can do." You know, it's not just calls and puts. You're starting to look at like straddles and like iron condors and strangles and like all these crazy things. So I think that's something that takes a lot of time to wrap your head around. Um, whereas like, yeah, arguably like speaking for myself when I first got into crypto, like you open up a Binance wallet, you just kind of like don't really have to understand what a perp is other than like, hey, it goes up, it goes down and I make money, you know, and it's like very understandable and then i can like obviously trade more than like in in the the money i I have uh directly in my account so yeah i think over time people will get more sophisticated with strategies right now i think the general meta is uh we're just balls long on everything it's just like buy a bunch of bitcoin or buy a bunch of solana and just kind of like hold it and then just put on like 100x leverage that's kind of you know a bit of like the robin hood style trading um and and then people are kind of just trading a lot on sentiment and, and hype and then people just get really destroyed um, when the market turns down because they're just like way over leveraged. And, you, you know, you would see on a bunch of these platforms, these massive liquidation cascades from people just like taking on way too much risk. Um, and so, yeah, I think we're just in this very early stage of the market where it's like it's probably what traditional finance and Wall Street was like, I don't know, decades ago when people were just kind of aping in traditional finance. Um, and now it's become, I guess, like a lot more, uh, a lot less risky and a lot more kind of like tame in terms of like people properly manage their risk and um, that's what options are really good for right options will let you kind of uh, express your optionality it lets you do a, a lot of stuff like risk hedging like you can buy a bunch of puts and kind of cover your downside for like a, a fixed premium which is super nice that's like what all the trad you know trad and hedge fund guys are, are kind of using to to kind of mitigate i guess a lot of their long positions on on their huge crypto bags um, so i think yeah we'll, we'll kind of get there over time and i'm Pretty, I'm pretty hopeful given that uh, there is, I think, somewhat of like a, a fit with those that kind of user base of, of DeFi, looking at like Robinhood and the kind of huge success there. You've got people buying, you know, these crazy uh, short dated Tesla call options before like earnings calls and people are really loving that. Not that we want to push towards that super degenerate uh, market, which is almost kind of verging on gambling. That's not what we want to do. We kind of want to tackle it from the approach of hey, everyone's like super long on this kind of stuff. Can people kind of manage some of the exposure? They can actually start thinking about stuff like Greeks and how, how exposed they are on their portfolios. They can get into more complex strategies. I don't think anyone does any delta neutral trading really these days or like that's not really like a popular thing. But, you know, hey, crypto is super volatile. And I think if anything, like the volatility, uh, implied volatility that's in the markets is like one of the more interesting things to trade. And you don't even have to know if like the price is going to go up or down, right? Is like, is it going to stay kind of stagnant? You know, are we in a crab market or, you know, is this thing going to go parabolic or like dump like crazy? You know, this is kind of level of uncertainty that you can trade on. So I think that will be a killer product. Um, whether that's going to be people actually going in there and kind of buying the individual calls and puts, that's becoming like a little bit harder of a thing for, for us to sell because I think there's a bit of complexity and overhead. But that's why we want to do this combo payoffs. Like we just kind of sell this uh straddle payoff we can kind of put that on the out there on the market people just basically like buy and sell volatility directly i think that's super appealing and something that like a lot of people love
No, I, I, I totally agree with that. Uh, both of the things you mentioned, one that, you know, we'll eventually see Robin Hood style uh, option aping come, come make its way into crypto. Uh, and I think I think that's inevitable. I also think as more institutions kind of proliferate DeFi, uh, we'll, we'll definitely see that gap close uh, between, you know, like the spread between DeFi and CeFi for, for options and perps. And I think crypto options in general have a long way to go because if, if you look at open interests on, you know, like stock and commodity markets, uh, options have like far more open interest than futures. Uh, and so if you combine futures and perps, you, you still, you would expect to see, you know, I guess over the like a five, 10 year period for, for options, open interest to sort of eclipse that. So definitely agree with what yeah. you're saying there. No, I, I agree. I was gonna, I was gonna tack on that. Yeah, I think it's super cool to see in TradFi, like futures and, and options are fairly comparable there. So I, I kind of imagine it will grow to, to be to, at a comparable level. And, you know, from my p- kind of perspective, I think the payoff of options in general is just like very appealing and like a very cool function. You know, you've essentially still got the unlimited upside that everyone wants to crypto coins, but then you've got this kind of cap downside that you're, you're paying for, which I think is really nice. So people aren't gonna get completely burned on the downside. Uh, and then you have this nonlinear exposure on the upside because of your gamma, essentially like the more you win, the more you win, um, which I think is really cool. So, yeah. The- I think the last point you mentioned uh, in your last answer uh, about how it's it's becoming, I guess, more difficult to like market towards people, you know, individually coming in and, and buying these options on, on Zeta. Um, I think an interesting trend we've seen over the last year or so, maybe since Ribbon launched is, you know, these uh, automated vaults that that kind of build structured products uh, that that cater to retail users. And I think the vast majority of, of these kind of products kind of revolve around options. And so like Ribbon kind of pioneered uh, like that, that, that style of product. And, you know, they, they obviously they're built on, they were built on Ethereum initially. And, you know, there, there was no liquidity on the options markets there. And so they had no choice but to uh, get into like partnerships with some of these market makers and, you know, directly buy and sell uh, options with them, mostly, uh, you know, sell options to them. Uh, and so, you know, with, with Zeta kind of coming into the mix and a lot of these structured product protocols uh, starting to m- make their way uh, into Solana. I'm, I'm curious if you think like this is, you know, one of the, like an outstanding growth market, like a, like a source of potential growth for, for Zeta. And do you think like eventually you're going to see, you know, maybe 50, 70% of volume on, on Zeta coming from platforms like this? Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. Very, very keen to see this kind of uh, space flourish and it definitely is doing so already. Um, I think kind of dialing it back to where we were maybe end of end of last year or something rather, there was like a very lukewarm reception to derivatives and options in general, especially on the DeFi space. I don't think people properly understood them or there, there wasn't that much of a product market fit where people felt like they would use them. Uh, and then you started, I think, seeing Ribbon, as you mentioned, really start to take off. Uh, and then a bunch of, I'd say it, but like, you know, slight uh, copycat projects starting to pop up on other chains, like people trying to kind of mimic that business model. Now people are trying to launch like more structured products that I think a bit more differentiated and actually like very interesting and compelling. Um, so that's something that I think is is really exciting and something that we are actually supporting very heavily. Um, and it is like a huge addressable market. I think in the recent Genesis uh, report, I think they kind of benchmarked uh, that kind of DeFi Options Vault or kind of DOV, um, as people like to call them, um, the market cap of that to around a billion dollars, which is definitely non-negligible and something that's growing all the time. Um, 
And so kind of to explain, I guess, where we are and our kind of stance and involvement in this DeFi option vault landscape is, yeah, you mentioned Ruben Finance, kind of like the leaders. They were the first guys out there. I think they're high, still highest uh, market cap by by some ways um, on Ethereum. We actually helped them launch cross-chain on Solana, which is pretty cool because we were their kind of first uh, non-EVM uh, kind of... Uh, I guess move over to to another chain. So that was that was really cool. Um, so they've been running for like a couple of weeks now on our kind of smart contract uh, infrastructure, and we essentially went out there and built a lot of like Rust smart contracts um, for them for a bunch of the backend, um, which is really nice. So now you can actually trade uh, DeFi options vaults on Solana, which is uh, really exciting. And you're starting to see a bunch of other projects pop up there, which are also very cool to see, like a uh, Katana doing very well as well. Um, and so from our perspective, yeah, that's been great and actually like a big TVL driver for us. Uh, getting liquidity through the Serum order book has been, has been good, but it's like, you know, a bit of a slower burn, right? You need active market makers on there. You need people actively trading liquidity to be provisioned across a lot of markets. Whereas when you have like, you know, one or two vaults essentially, or even a handful of vaults, that's like a nice way to aggregate liquidity. It's got great UX of uh, you put your money in essentially it auto rolls it across uh, your kind of weekly expiries. So that's saying it's like a set and forget strategy and you essentially earn uh, the premiums from selling these uh, out of the money um, options kind of every week. Uh, so that's kind of good. So people who are sitting on say like a big Solana bag starting to, to sell covered calls and, and earn some of the premiums from that. Uh, and that's definitely, yeah, as I mentioned, being a big TVL and volume driver for us. Uh, we're now doing, I think, uh, a shade over 30 mil TVL just through these vaults themselves, um, which is like a great win. That's always going to be growing and, and something that we want to make as like a big product segment for us, uh, especially in the kind of short to medium term, as I think people are less comfortable with order book trading of options. Like this is a really nice um, way for us to do a bit of the science uh, kind of provide the, the rails for that. And then a ribbon or Katana packages it up into, into this great product that's using options under the hood. And then you as a user, who's maybe a bit more familiar to, to yield farming can get exposure to options and trade, I think fairly complicated option strategies without having to be um, a real genius. Yeah, I, I'm definitely very bullish on, on some of these products. And I think I think uh, they, they provide a great service to users in terms of like the just the yield they give you and, and the fact that that yield is generated in a sustainable way by, by selling risk. Uh, and you know, taking something that was sort of gatekept by TradFi for uh, extremely wealthy people, and, and sort of like bringing that to the masses, uh, I, I think I think it's a it's a fantastic idea, and I definitely expect you know these products to, to sort of take off. And yeah, I'm sure as an as an options protocol, you founder, uh, you expect the same to happen because I mean they, they they could potentially be a huge source of growth for you know Zeta and some of these other. Uh, like marketplaces for, for options. The, the way that I'm thinking about it and almost trying to like pitch it internally is my head is like, what if this is the successor to like traditional yield farming? So instead of having all these kind of like, uh, you know, printing uh, tokens and stuff and like, you know, putting money in kind of like a LP pool and getting wrecked by like impermanent loss, like what if you are actually uh, selling like a, a useful and viable kind of financial product and kind of earning the premiums for that? Um, yeah, and then I think you can just kind of not even it's just a yield generating product. Like there are so many things you can do with options, right? You can kind of do volatility minimization, this kind of like, you know, whole host of, of different applications that don't have to just be yield based. Um, but the fact that they're kind of tailored into this like very nice one click product, uh, I think it's just like has great fit um, with the, the current market. Nice. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, now that we're, we're kind of steering the conversation, we've steered the conversation towards DeFi options. Um, I have 
another question about like I guess the like the the trade-off between CFI options and DeFi options. So you know at the moment CFI options are undoubtedly more liquid and a much more vibrant market than than DeFi options. Uh, of course, I expect that to change you know over the next couple of years. Um, but I'm curious why you think at this point like maybe whether it's somebody who's a, a retail trader familiar with options that's getting into the space or whether it's you know a hedge fund that's starting to dip their toes into crypto what would be the impetus for you know any one of these entities or, or like market participants to use DeFi options over CFI options I mean are there any discernible advantages to, to using DeFi over CFI apart from obviously decentralization and you know like non-custodial uh, like storage of assets yeah definitely so I can kind of cover I, I guess some of the the uh, the pros and the cons of of both at the moment. So yeah, CFI I think options definitely doing well. Deribit has like you mentioned ninety to ninety five uh, percent market share. So they're obviously in a bit of a monopoly there and kind of killing it. And anyone who wants to trade options is you know almost unanimously doing it through them. Uh, they have a bunch of other nice integrations like any kind of block trading or OTC stuff you do through like Paradigm, which I think facilitates a, a ton of their involvement. Uh, and it is interesting to see Paradigm actually now also starting to do a bit more work in the DeFi space. So that's very bullish. Uh, in terms of some of the advantages, I would say like a really cool one, which I almost liken to like, why would you use Uniswap instead of like uh, FTX is just that uh, exposure, I think, to some of the more kind of mid to tail end assets that you don't tend to get on these kind of uh, Deribit like platforms. So Deribit for the longest time has just been like BTC, ETH options, um, which is really not that much scope. And I think now you've got this big, vibrant altcoin ecosystem. And I think that's probably where like a lot of trading and a lot of edge is going on these these days you know there's probably only so much you can make on on trading btc and like the the volatility i guess is maybe like not as crazy um as people would like it to be whereas if you're trading like you know probably like lunar options or something or other right now would be super hot because they're they're just going nuts and like that would be like a great trade opportunity and something that everyone would want to get onto uh and so yeah i think these cfi guys are probably going to be like you know traditionally pretty slow to list a lot of this stuff um and i think it makes sense for like a DeFi platform to kind of enable um a lot of this kind of stuff um so that's really exciting i know deribit are looking to list or kind of in the process of listing i think they got solana futures out there uh, and soon to be solana options which is like their their first i guess non-btc eth um pairing out there so you know, I take that as a, as a blessing and definitely something that's great for us because that's kind of the primary market that we've got out there. So I think that's that's going to be good if people start trading that. That's obviously going to like spill over as, as volume to us. And, you know, I want to see more people kind of dipping their toes into kind of altcoin options. Um, I'm also becoming, I think the second point, uh, I'm also becoming a bit of a composability maxi now. Um, I think this stuff is is pretty cool and unlocks like a lot of opportunities that you don't get in like a traditional finance or like you know centralized exchange environment um I, I don't think it like scales as well in this kind of centralized environments um you kind of think about i guess traditional finance you've got all these like hedge funds and trading firms competing against each other it's all about like everyone has the ip like everyone's got to build their own proprietary tooling and services uh and nothing like really talks to one another everything is kind of like being essentially zero sum um where you have to kind of like fight for every every penny um but then when it comes to DeFi, the cool thing is like you know you can stack a lot of these protocols together and it's like uh you know i come from more of like a software background so i just you know love the proposition of open source um i probably wouldn't be able to do 99 percent of the work that i do without open source or probably 100 percent of the work without open source software um 
just because now you have all these like crazy libraries out there that people have put and it's essentially layers upon layers you know you need something to do the math functionality and then on top of that you know you have something for like parallel processing and then on top of that you know you have like you know say like data visualization all these kind of other layers and everything kind of uses each other and you can start you know writing python scripts that you know you just import a library one-liner and you're doing like kind of machine learning or something or other um which is pretty cool uh, and you don't have to be an expert and it kind of works under the hood same thing i feel like with, with DeFi. you've now got all these primitives I, I feel like that have been built out over the last few years uh, and especially over the last year for solana i would say most of the core financial primitives have been built out so you've now got like borrowing and lending you've got like liquid staking you've got all this like derivative stuff like you've got like perps you know and then we've got like futures and options so You've got all the right Lego blocks now, uh, and it's now about putting them together and building like application layers on top of that. So um, a really cool example, I guess I can give from our side is we just recently integrated Solend. Um, so they're doing a bunch of C token stuff, which is like interest bearing tokens. And so we can actually integrate that natively into vaults. So not only are you like earning the premium from vaults, it's that kind of uh, cash or the the soul that you put into that vault is not just kind of sitting there idle during the week like this thing is like you know indirectly i guess lent out on on solend and you're kind of earning interest on that and so you know that's a couple of extra kind of percentage points that you're getting out there um, for free so i think like stacking all these things together all the protocols kind of talking to each other you're probably going to get you know i imagine some of like the the best yields there um, as well as you're just going to come up with new financial products that have never existed and that i think are, are super exciting and you know, in one way, people go down a bit of like the, the Ponzi route where they go a bit crazy and then it's like layers of this and that and you don't really understand what's going on. But I think there is like a, a genuine route where like all these different products are talking to each other. Like you could be on a Mango kind of putting on long perp positions and then hedging that out on a Zeta kind of uh, on your downside. So yeah, I, I'm pretty excited and we're, we're just going to be able to move very fast. Like we ship very fast and we have an active, passionate community. So listing new markets, new expiries, new underlyings, all this kind of stuff will come out very rapidly. And I think we can kind of play it by ear and, you know, it'll make for a very compelling product. No, oh, yeah, that, that is a fantastic vision and a great answer too. Um, so correct me if I'm wrong, but you do see a future where DeFi and CeFi derivatives markets can kind of mesh together and complement each other. And you don't really see it as like the zero sub game where only one category can really come out on top. Yeah, I, I think I'd agree with that. Definitely. I think there is definitely scope for both. And I don't think it's like going to go all one way or all the other way. Um, yeah, and I think it's mainly like they kind of cater to two different things. Like if you want, like, you know, everyone says... Uh, not your keys, not your money or whatever, you know, when you're trading with like a, a centralized exchange, like that's right. Like what if a, a Mt. Gox happens or, you know, some like big hack and then you're not actually kind of custodying your own funds. Like that's definitely probably like pretty scary for a bunch of people. Like then again, you probably get a bunch of people who like couldn't care less about it. Uh, and they're just kind of, you know, very risk tolerant or whatever, or don't have a lot of money at stake. Um, but yeah, I think there's going to be like this eventual kind of push where, you know, everyone's using their their mobiles, their browsers and stuff, you just got like a phantom wallet or a metamask that you can kind of plug into this like huge ecosystem of, you know, uh, internet native apps that you can kind of trade with. And, you know, you don't have to deal with one exchange. Like everything is just like another another website where you have your mobile wallet. That'll be cool. Um, so I, I think that will cater to a lot of people. And then there's going to be these crazy integrations with like NFTs and like gaming and stuff. Like who knows what's going to happen there? Like I have literally no no idea. And and that's probably like something that DeFi is going to be very strong on. Um, but then CeFi stuff, like obviously CeFi, like you, you can't really compete on speed, right? It's like centralized, which kind of gives it native advantages of just like 
you run this on like one AWS machine, like you're obviously going to get the fastest order book that matches on kind of like a nanosecond time scale. I don't think we're going to get like DeFi block times that kind of match that. So, you know, if you're like uh, some like crazy trading firm that's doing billions of dollars of volume and you're all about kind of latency ARBs and stuff, like that's probably still going to be uh, the place for you. Um, but you know, there are, there are starting to be like these these hybrids as well, where like the the lines are getting a bit blurred, and you get this like CDFI or whatever they call it. Um, I, would, I would say almost uh, DYDX sits in that category because they've got like uh, all their um, positions are pretty much managed on chain, and like you know positions are settled on chain. But then the whole order book and matching engine is run in a in a centralized fashion, which allows it to run very fast. But you know, obviously, we saw AWS did go down at some point um, a, a couple of months ago and so did their order book. So not incredibly decentralized, but you know, it does kind of hit it the best of both worlds. Oh yeah, that definitely makes a lot of sense. Uh, and, and as you were talking about like gaming and how this could potentially tie in, I was thinking about, you know, a world where uh, gamers are sort of, you know, like they're, they're earning their in-game assets. And at the same time, they're like, they're like uh, either buying puts or selling calls against it to sort of hedge their price risk. And that sounds like, utterly ridiculous and and so like crypto at the same time so i i I think i think we're definitely going to see something like that in the future um but yeah i guess like just tying into that last point you know a lot of people look at options uh and they they see them as as like instruments of pure speculation probably because you know when when you read about options in the mainstream media it's mostly you know somebody who lost their life savings on on tesla calls uh trading on robin hood uh, but but they're actually one of like if you I guess understand them and use them correctly they're actually one of the safer instruments to sort of obtain leverage and and get access to like I guess uh, a convex payoff curve and so I, I was wondering if you have any thoughts on like how how options kind of fit in with like real world use cases and and how they they like they 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 sort of help people with things outside of pure speculation on price. Yeah, definitely. So I think they have gotten a bit of this uh, branding from the media and I guess looking at like Wall Street bets and probably other Reddit forums, you know, people are just using it to to ape things on on Robinhood. Um, but then probably what people don't see if you're not in traditional finance is like, yeah, all the, all the big guys are, are trading this and like this is a huge part of their strategies. And if anything, it's like a, a de-risking mechanism for a lot of people. Um, Probably like the easiest analogy um, to think of options, like the framework to think about it in is uh, insurance. It's like pretty much analogous. Like if you're buying an option, you're kind of paying for a bunch of uh, insurance. And if things kind of don't go your way, you can essentially exercise that. Likewise, if you're selling options, you're you're pretty much like uh, selling the risk to people and people can like exercise the option back on you and kind of either, uh, you know, buy or, or sell it at a favorable price. Um, so I think that's really cool. And I think as trading strategies get more complicated, like this is something that people are really going to love, like the way I think of options and, you know, just, just reading like heaps more into it and seeing all the use cases, like they are like the Swiss army knife of, of derivatives. You can really chop them up and, <laughs> you know, combo them and put them together in, in every way possible um, and come up with, with really cool strategies and payoffs. Um, so I think that's extremely exciting one probably really good DeFi native use case for that is like a impermanent loss hedging so you can kind of structure i think a, a payoff of a certain you know basket of calls and puts to to somewhat mimic uh the kind of inverse of impermanent loss since so you could buy that you could structure that as a product sell it off to someone and you know you could be in some like uni swap liquidity pool and then you could kind of buy this uh this uh options uh structure on the other side and you can somewhat be be hedged against that so 
that's really cool. And I think that's something you just like, you can't get that with linear products because you're starting to work with non-linear stuff. So it just like straight up doesn't work. Um, and so, yeah, as people get more into non-linear products, like this is just like the building block for, for everything there. Um, yeah, I think Delta neutral strategies, like I mentioned before, like no one trades this that much, but it's probably like very safe way to go where you don't kind of blow up um, either way, which is great. And you can pretty much be ambivalent to market direction, which I think is a cool and appealing way to trade. Like in a lot of times, like I definitely feel uncertain, you know, you got a lot of fud on Twitter and you're like, oh, is the Fed going to do something? And, you know, everything, all the prices crash to some like ridiculous low level. And then suddenly the market sentiment changes in two weeks and everyone's like giga bullish again. Um, and then you're like, God, I don't even know where the, where the market's going to go now. Um, or, you know, some like big announcements going to come out and you're like, I just know it's going to move. I have no idea which way um, we're expecting like some big price movement. And that's something you can start putting opinions on. Um, and I think generally there's like a good point that my co-founders brought up as well as like, yeah, you don't even have to like force fit options into like trading strategies. Like options just naturally uh, like capture optionality that's just like embedded in everyday life. Like that's just like a part of how the world works. Um, and, and just being able to like represent that as a financial product is cool. And there are so many things that, that stem from that, right? You can kind of do like vesting. I think you can do it for stuff like NFT borrowing, which hasn't really been, I think, too, too, um, well done before uh like the vesting stuff you can essentially like airdrop call options instead of like airdropping the actual option itself um which i think is pretty cool um like dow to dow agreements you can probably do with with options you kind of see this a lot in the traditional space right if you've probably worked at any uh big company or tech company essentially they give you like employee um stock options so that's like a big use case something that people haven't done quite yet in, in uh in crypto um a lot of these like market maker deals really go down as kind of uh call options a lot of the time so i think there's just like yeah just like a ridiculous amount of use cases for this and we're only starting to see like the the very uh early stages of that yeah th those are some some great points all around and hopefully any option skeptics listening into this uh will, will have been swayed uh, i also love that line options are the swiss army knife of derivatives i'm definitely going to steal that for one of my reports no it's just uh, just quote me on it <laughs> definitely I, I wouldn't do you dirty that way uh, but yeah, I guess, you know, we've, we've spoken a lot about Zeta and options. Uh, I want to kind of, you know, maybe speak about Solana a little bit. So I guess as, as someone who's, you know, been building on Solana for, I guess, over a year now or close to a year, um, how does building on a high speed chain like Solana give Zeta an edge beyond just, you know, this, the speed of, edu uh, of, of like execution of like these transactions and trades? Are there any like discernible advantages there of like building on Solana besides the speed? Yeah, so I guess, yeah, point first and foremost is it just opens up the, the design space in terms of what you can actually build in DeFi. So this is something that kind of irked me a little bit when building on Solidity is like, oh God, I really got to think about like how much gas I can use for this contract. And you're now seeing this everywhere on Ethereum, right? And on like uh, Ethereum, Twitter a lot, like people are posting screenshots of like, hey, I rewrote my thing in like some kind of like binary format or as like assembly code or something or other where it's like completely unreadable now, but I like, you know, I optimize like a, a couple of GUI or whatever off my function call. Um, so I think, I don't know, like I'm, I'm not a huge fan of that. Like it's pretty cool that people are getting into the optimization, but it just like makes for, I think, pretty unreadable code and people are going down to these like micro optimizations. Um, whereas the cool thing with Solana is like, even though you do have a fixed budget of like these like 200K compute units, like what you can do with that, um, I think it definitely makes it like a bit more liberal um, in terms of what you can build. So that's why you've seen stuff pop up like Serum, like building an actual audible on chain, like that's insane. Like reading through their code base and like 
how they did it and the possibilities there is pretty nuts and would recommend anyone kind of listen to some of those early FTX podcasts. I think with uh, Sebastian and some of the other guys who, who kind of ended up building it, they were just trying to build it on Ethereum and other chains. Um, and then they settled on Solana as like the only one that could actually facilitate such like a complex engine. Uh, so it is quite like a feat of engineering, I would say. And we're almost like an extension of that. You know, we've kind of taken the great uh, infrastructure of, of Serum and kind of uh, enabled derivatives to, to trade through that as well, you know, with our own kind of additions and modifications. So it's really opened up the design space for us. Like people always ask us like, hey, you're gonna, you guys going to launch on Ethereum or you're going to launch on like AVAX or something or, other, or like one of these new chains that are popping up. And I'm like, you know, candidly, I, I don't think the chain would really support what we're trying to build. Like it's so high frequency and, you know, it has like quite a lot of complex calculations uh, and kind of mechanisms in the back end that I, I think it would be very difficult to execute like reliably on another chain. Um, and that's kind of cool. And that's like really what our long-term vision is, is like, can we take that CFI trading experience and like the best parts of it in terms of like, it has, you know, maybe not all of them have great UX, but like, you know, better UX in terms of like, it's, it's a, uh, pretty fast to use you you have like under collateralized trading so you know you can do a lot with your margin um and you know it, it's very like fast and, and cheap obviously to to kind of transact through and you're not getting wrecked by gas prices on every kind of quote that you make um if we can take that and we can put it on a high performance chain essentially and then have all the benefits of it running on like a decentralized network um that i think makes for a really cool thing and solana is really the only chain that i've seen that fits that nice use case which is why i'm pretty bullish on it becoming like I guess almost the de facto DeFi chain um, kind of over time. And I think I think it's already getting there. Um, what else do I like about Solana? I think build the ecosystem is awesome. Like this is like nothing I've kind of seen before. Everyone's very focused on shipping and, and helping one, one another. Um, so I think that's like really cool to see. Uh, people love their Rust and are kind of Rust maxis. You're getting really nice uh, kind of frameworks getting built out as well. Anchor is just like lowered the barrier to Solana development by a huge amount. It's also helped with like, all these uh, kind of edge cases and potential hacks that could have happened on Solana by like validating account inputs um, and doing other things like that. So that's been really nice and, and probably saved us like months of development effort, just having good tooling like that. Um, what else do you get? You got like, yeah, Pith Oracle, which is just like super high frequency. You know, you're taking all like the uh, aggregated prices from some like the, the best market data providers and you're providing that on chain every block, every 400 milliseconds, which is nuts. Um, and then what else? Yeah, low fees, like anyone can come in and, and trade on our markets with just a couple of dollars. Like you don't have to be a whale. That's kind of what turned me away from Ethereum in the early days. Like you want to go off and buy an NFT or, you know, swap something on Uniswap and, you know, you're paying hundreds of dollars, which is definitely like for someone who I think is new to crypto and doesn't have like insane bags. I think that turns away a lot of new users. And I, I think crypto, like even though it has like decent following now, I think is so small in comparison to, to what it can get to. Um, so yeah, I think those are those are some of the advantages from my perspective. Yeah, I mean, th those are definitely some very compelling points. Uh, but you know, it's it's now tough to believe that that you're not a Solana Maxi, I guess. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I guess while, while we're talking about maximalism, you did mention that you you're becoming kind of a composability Maxi. Um, so I was wondering, you know, like, are there any implications of building on Solana in specific in a multi-chain world? Uh, I, I like to think of multi-chain as like extending. Uh, the composability of a single chain towards, you know, like making it sort of like interchain composability where it's it's easy to move liquidity, uh, you know, between these ecosystems. Obviously, it's not as easy as like within an ecosystem, but yeah, just uh, are there any specific tailwinds or 
headwinds of building on Solana as you know the the multi-chain movement comes about? Yeah, I think that's you know everyone says it like the the future is going to be multi-chain, and like I mentioned, I think a lot of uh, financial applications probably make sense to run on Solana, maybe the gaming ones as well, because they have to be fairly high frequency. Um, but there are definitely use cases, I think, for a lot of the chains out there, and they will all eventually like end up talking to each other. Um, I think there are like interesting models like well, like Cosmos, essentially, where you can kind of spin up your own chain or like, you know, they have this kind of like inter-chain uh, communication. I, I forget exactly um, how it works. You would know much better than me. But yeah, I think it's it's going to be all about these chains talking to one another. You're getting lots more bridges built between chains, um, obviously like, you know, wormhole's pretty big out there, even though it's a bit of a sensitive topic now, you've got like all bridge on Solana. Like I, I was recently using that to kind of bridge some of my Solana back to, uh, Ethereum cause I was very ERC 20 poor. Um, and that was like a pretty good experience. Um, so it's definitely becoming less friction to, to kind of move definitely between these chains and where I think definitely exploring some of these cross-chain integrations. We haven't got around to it yet just because it's like a lot of work. We're like engineer constrained and we've got a complicated platform that, that works really well in this chain and we need to kind of just add more features there rather than going wide and adding it to every chain. Um, but I think that'll be really cool. So we're looking at like potential bridging options. So, you know, we want to open it up to like an Ethereum market. Like we don't want to just like try and bleed a stone dry on Solana and just try and like, you know, take TVL from other projects. It's like, what if we can get people from from other chains or you know at the end of the day like we're all probably wanting to take somewhat market share from from cfi and even like the bigger pots of money out there so i think that would be really nice and if someone can come in there on a different chain take their liquidity go into our website and kind of deposit and it does like a cross-chain bridge and, and swap in the background like that's going to be like killer ux um i'm going to be like really keen for that uh, and then there are other things maybe on the dev side which are exciting so i know neon evm is this uh exciting Solana project, which basically looks to take kind of EVM compiled contracts uh, and then almost like uh, translate them or transpile them into like Solana uh, bytecode or something. And so, you know, you could have a big project like a sushi swap or something other that can basically like launch instantaneously um, on Solana uh, without having to like rewrite, rewrite all their contracts in, um, in uh, Rust, which is, which is pretty cool and, and starts bridging a bunch of applications and use cases over. Yeah, I love that mindset, you know, where it's it's sort of like DeFi bands together and we're just trying to take liquidity and market share away from CeFi instead of competing with each other. And I, I think that that's like that's sort of a mindset that's shared with, you know, most DeFi uh, founders and enthusiasts. And, and like it's just it's more of a healthy competition rather than, you know, like wanting to beat each other up. Uh, so that that's definitely awesome. Um, yeah, I guess we're, we're reaching towards, I guess, the, the end of uh of, of this podcast. And so I, I have some, some questions about, I guess, the future of Zeta and, you know, where do you see just everything going? Uh, so to start off with, you know, where do you think we are in Zeta's roadmap? Uh, are there any upcoming milestones that, you know, you'd like to point out? Yeah, definitely. So we've come a long way and it's funny when talking to people outside of crypto, especially more like traditional finance people, people who have worked at exchanges and we tell them like, Hey, we, more or less built like a fully fledged derivatives exchange in like six to 12 months that kind of blows their mind because some of these guys have been working on it for like years, if not like decades, I guess. Um, so that's pretty cool to, to see the kind of compressed timeframes that the crypto operates in where we're taking a lot of the in innovation from traditional finance or kind of elsewhere in tech and just putting into like a few years of work, um, which is nuts. So it still feels like, yeah, just early, 
on the journey in general, even though we have built a lot so far. Um, so it was pretty cool. Like start of the year in January, we launched uh, mainnet for two of our products, one being kind of DEX, uh, ZetaDEX, which is like the uh, Serum-based exchange, which you, which you can go and visit at uh, mainnet.zeta.markets and put on some trades there. And then there's also a Flex, which is our like Flex Options one, which basically underpins Ribbon, Katana, and a bunch of these other DeFi option vaults. It's more of like a OTC options trading product. So, you know, with with those two launches in January, which was <laughs> by no means a like a, a chill month, that was like very hectic getting out two mainnet products. Um, but that went super well, and now we pretty much cater to the entire scope of uh, of, of options and, and hopefully soon derivatives. So I guess in in that vein, uh, there's going to be a lot of uh, new product features coming out. So improved uh, capital efficiency stuff like a strategy based margin so stuff like call spreads we're going to start margining a bit better so it's like more efficient people start putting on these strategies and these kind of uh, multi-leg things um, we're going to have more expiries so people can do longer dated stuff sorry starting probably more with uh kind of bi-weekly options moving into like monthlies maybe eventually quarterlies and then yeah obviously more underlyings is what everyone wants to see so you know, market's super hot for like a lunar options or something rather, you know, we, we are kicking ourselves that we didn't get on that Doquan bet and launch like a binary options market um, for that and get like, you know, tens of millions in there. That, that would have been killer. And, and we want to like tap into that in future. I think that's that's awesome. Um, maybe we'll put out like, you know, we want to do stuff like more more kind of products as well. So, you know, maybe like perps and other things kind of cross margined under the same hood would be would be really cool. That's on the longer term roadmap. Um, and then on like the, the non kind of... Uh, Audible side, we've got all these vault things coming out. So yeah, Ribbon and Katana already launched. Um, I think now exotic derivatives are starting to become a hotter space. So exotic markets is one of the, like the cool ones that's going to mainnet really, really soon. Also built on us uh, as well as like tons and tons more in the pipeline. Uh, it's becoming almost like overwhelming now, I think to cater to all the different use cases that are out there. Um, that's very exciting. And then otherwise, like I've been putting my head down and like focusing a lot on uh, like analytics, platform metrics, other cool things. So. This is hopefully going to become like another interesting on-chain data source. So I've been integrating with like Genesis Volatility, Levitas, and a bunch of other kind of uh, analytics providers for options. So you know, you're going to be able to look at like your Deribit implied volatility and, and kind of some of the open interest there. But then you're also going to be able to look at like, you know, Zeta alongside that, I think is, uh, is really cool. And then we will basically be like the only, I think, provider of probably like implied volatility and stuff like that for any kind of non-BTC ETH sole options as well. So... Very exciting uh, and looking forward to getting all those out. Um, yeah, that, that sounds very exciting. And here at Delphi, we, we love Genesis volatility. So definitely looking forward to, to that integration. Um, so I guess from your experience building in crypto, uh, what are some of the, or I guess, what is the biggest lesson that you've learned building in crypto? And, and what's like one piece of advice you'd give to aspiring founders in, in DeFi? Cool. Uh, I think there's heaps and I'll, I'll keep it really short. Um, I think crypto moves super quickly. Um, so it's a, a bit of a double-edged sword where there are, there's so much opportunity and almost too much opportunity. Um, so I'd say if you're like a new person getting into the space and you're kind of like, oh, do I stay at my old job or do I like kind of take a punt in crypto? Like I would say definitely go for it. Like uh, I, by some miracle, managed to convince all the people in my team to kind of quit their old jobs and, and move full-time into crypto and everyone has not looked back since. So it's been awesome. Um, I think you won't regret it. Um, yeah, there's just so much going on in crypto. So it's like, don't feel like you've missed the wave. Like there's always this feeling of FOMO, but like we've got so much ahead of us to, to build. 
So definitely get in there. I would say get building. Don't just kind of speculate on coin prices, like, you know, either learn coding or, or like actually be productive and build cool stuff in the ecosystem. There's like infinite stuff to build. Um, and when you are building, try and stay focused on the goal. Like, you know, for us at least, we're building this exchange and then like all these protocols popping up, like this whole like NFT wave and like, you know, crazy stuff going on. It's very easy to get distracted, but I think something we've done exceptionally well that's made us a really top project is just been like focus on the goal, just like, build a really good exchange, build it like 10, 100 better, a hundred X better than like whatever else is, is out there and make sure that's your number one priority rather than be like, we build this one product product one week and it's like, ah, it's not that successful. And then we move on to a different thing. And then we start like, I don't know, just kind of uh, day trading NFTs and doing all this, you know, you see founders kind of go off in all directions and just like do random stuff and like, maybe not like the, the best path, best, best path to success. Um, but by the same token, like, yeah, don't get married to like one idea if it's like not a success and you like you know you had your heart into it like you know crypto is going to like pivot every, every almost on like a weekly basis or a monthly basis based on like sentiment so you know I, I think be be agile be ready to move listen to the customer don't be like i know best you know something that has shocked me in this space is like no one talks to their customer at all um so you know get in the discord talk to people see what people want and kind of cater the product for there um and yeah i think like my biggest learning probably from from this whole thing is just like yeah if you're going to build a project like co-founder fit is so important like you know pick people that you you trust heaps that that are smart and that are going to like put the legwork in to to help you out you know it's a, it's a bit of a roller coaster ride where it's like some 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 weeks you have like a ton of volume or you just like raised around you feel like on top of the world like everything's going away and like you know maybe you do like an interview on bloomberg or something rather than you're like wow you know this is incredible this is the best thing of all time and then like a couple of weeks later like saying breaks in production or whatever or who knows like maybe you get hacked or maybe just things aren't going away and you're like no one wants to use our product and like this all sucks and then you're like almost feel like giving up so you just got to keep your chin up and like have a good uh i guess support group around you of like co-founders or other like fellow projects that uh and just kind of like keep your eyes on the prize and just like keep building uh, that that's some solid solid advice and i think uh definitely going to be helpful for, for any aspiring founders listening to this um, in terms of, you know, where DeFi is going over the next five years, what are, what are, what are some of your thoughts on that? And it can be as, as broad as you like. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm pretty, I'm pretty confident in it. I think coming from the 2017 era where crypto was just like all speculation, I don't think there was any useful use case, uh, for crypto, to be honest, other than like Bitcoin, I guess is like a, a way like, you know, digital gold, I guess, or even to like, you know, make transactions and, and buy certain, uh, I think very bespoke things uh, on the internet. Um, now it's come a long way where it's like, you can actually like properly earn money. And it's kind of crazy, like looking at my like traditional bank account these days and getting like the 0.1% interest on that. I'm just like, this is really crap. Um, and then also the fact that like, you know, opening bank accounts or like getting access to like actual like interesting financial products or doing any kind of investing is like so many gates and it's such a pain to use and if you want to do like a cross-border transaction you know i want to like send money back to like my family or friends or pay for something you know in a different currency like you get hit by so many middlemen and so many like fees and all these other things and it's just very very clunky um so i think it's just naturally like that's just gonna like get completely like killed by technology like DeFi is just going to eat TradFi's lunch like crazy even just like yeah just crypto in general I think is 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 here to stay uh, I think it's like pretty pretty obvious these days even though my my parents like to always fud me and and show me every news article when they think Bitcoin's going to zero um, 
yeah, I think it's just like interesting value proposition. Like, you know, money's going to be digital at the end of the day. Like I don't even use uh, like cash or like barely even like my credit card now. It's just like all done on my phone. It's all like digital. It's all, you know, ones and zeros essentially. Um, and so crypto like really embodies that for like a kind of internet native uh, edge. So I think that's going to be super successful. DeFi, I think it's just like a cool use case. Like NFT is probably, probably going to do well. Uh, I still haven't figured out like what the, the real use case is and like, uh, like I, I don't think art collection is going to be like you know like the the long term thing that it ends up getting applied to. Likewise, like gaming is probably like a big market, but like, do you need to slap a blockchain on everything? Like, potentially not. But you know, what's a blockchain good for? It's like a database that's kind of this like immutable ledger that's like you know transparent, and you can kind of uh, do a lot of this uh, accounting there, and, and people can't just like write over it, and it doesn't have to be like insanely high frequency. Um, but you just have to uh, essentially trust it, um, and it has to be like a trustless in that case works really well for finance like that's that's pretty much exactly what you want so i think it's a, a perfect fit for that um and i think the innovation uh in the space is just like so rapid and it's something you just can't get in traditional finance where like people aren't collaborating together it's like every trading shop at each other's throats trying to like you know skim the the tiny amount of edge there is uh out in the markets from from one another um but i think yeah on, on the other side i think there's like still like a, a bunch of barriers to adoption one of them being like education especially for just crypto in general like people don't understand how it works people get like scammed too much or rug pulled or like putting their money in the wrong places people don't understand like a lot of the DeFi products out there like especially derivatives i guess is very hard to appeal to people who just want to like put money in some like dogecoin thing and like earn yield on it um <laughs> And then, yeah, I think there's still probably like a bit more work that needs to be done on like wallets and like fiat on ramps that will make it um, a little bit better. Like general UX across the DeFi space tends to lack somewhat, um, but you're getting more designers who are good uh, and know their stuff coming into the space. I'd like to think that the UX on our platform is is pretty great. Um, I do enjoy trading on it. And we've gotten like a lot of good feedback that it's like uh, quite powerful and quite user-friendly. Um, whereas like some of these other options platforms, it's like a glorified Excel sheet and it's just like, so much information, like so overbearing. Um, I think this is more kind of suited to, I think your, your kind of general audience. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm super bullish and I guess to sum it up, feels like we're in the almost early internet days for, for DeFi where we're kind of still in like a dial up connection. It's still probably like a little bit slow, a little bit clunky. People are start, still trying to like figure out how to build it properly. Um, who knows, maybe in like a couple of years we'll be in like the, the 5G age of, uh, of DeFi and things will be like pretty unanimously awesome. Well, I, I agree with a lot of that and for the sake of both of us and a lot of other people, I hope we're right. Um, and yeah, I guess my last question for you is more of a, more of a Zeta shell, but where can people find out you know, more about Zeta? Where can they go to learn more about what you guys are doing? What's the best way to follow updates about the project, join in the community and speak to other like-minded folks? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'd say Twitter is what everyone uses for crypto. And obviously that's the best way to keep up to date with our latest like product updates and, and happenings and partnerships and whatever. Um, so at Zeta Markets uh, is the best way to find us there. Likewise, you'll, you'll probably find a bunch of links there for our Discord community, which is pretty vibrant. And I think like a lot of people in there doing trading strategies and kind of like talking about the protocol. So if you want to find some trading buddies and, and talk options and also give us feedback on how to improve the product, that's something we're super um receptive to and uh would love to get you in on there uh and then otherwise probably uh, a good one to check out is just like our landing page uh 
zeta.markets that just has like a bunch more information on the protocol. You can link that out to our docs if you want to read into the technical stuff um, and obviously like use the platform itself. Well, Tristan, it's been it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast, and I hope we'll, we'll have you back sometime in the future once once Zeta has a billion dollars of liquidity. <laughs> That's right. Looking forward to that day. Thanks for having me on. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Delphi podcast. If you enjoyed it, please support the show by hitting subscribe on your podcast app, writing a review, or sharing this episode on Twitter or LinkedIn. Stay tuned for our next episode. Out soon. 